0: We're going to be uh, reading John chapter 19, verse uh, 1 through 16. All right. Uh, Then Pilate took Jesus and uh, flogged him, and the shoulders twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am building him. Sorry, see, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know uh, that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came uh, out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Uh, do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, "You would have no authority over me unless uh, at all, unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin." From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, "If you release this man, you are not uh, Caesar's friend." Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat him down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic, Gabatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he was delivered over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. Good morning. Good morning.
1: John 19. We are in the part of the story um, as of a couple weeks ago where we've moved from hearing Jesus teach and tell stories and talk about the way of the kingdom of God. And now we're seeing the story in action. We're seeing what Jesus is doing. Um, we're, we're actually living through with Jesus this story that saves us. This, uh, this is our story. Um, I remember one of my teachers once telling me that the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus is as much a part of my own personal history as is my own birth, or marriage, or whatever big events I've had in my life. I think that's true. I think that's true, and I think how we respond to this story is actually um, the thing that dictates the way our lives go, and the way that we uh, choose to live, and the way that we choose to think about ourselves and the world, it's all based on how we respond to this story of Jesus on his way to the cross, on the cross, and ultimately through death to the empty tomb. And I think it's really interesting uh, as a preacher to come to stories like this and parts of the story like this. Uh, Simon and I were talking a little bit earlier this week about how uh, when you get to this part of the story where Jesus is on his way to the cross, there's almost, there's almost nothing to say because it speaks so clearly this very, very foundational piece of our uh, personal history as believers and of our faith as believers. And you almost want to let the story speak for itself. Um, but I think there actually are some things we can, we can find in here. And when it comes to unpacking these, these moments of the story of Jesus, the story of uh, his work for us on the cross, uh, I find it really useful to just think about how I might or how other people might react to this story. So Jesus is before Pilate, and in this uh, few verses that Matt just read for us, we see a lot of different reactions to Jesus, um, Jesus under arrest, Jesus before Pilate, Jesus on his way to the cross. Um, We see a bunch of different groups, and they all seem to respond to Jesus slightly differently. And I'd love to take some time this morning just to look at how these different people respond to Jesus and see if we can find ourselves in this story a little bit and then ultimately we'll take a look at what it says about Jesus. So Jesus is under arrest and the first thing we see is that Jesus had or that Pilate has Jesus flogged. The soldiers take him out and it says that they put a crown of thorns on his head, a purple robe around his back and they say, "Hail, king of the Jews," as they beat him. The soldiers are pretty vehement in their mockery of Jesus. The soldiers are, uh, are actually um, naming Jesus King of the Jews, which is really interesting because in this story, this part of the story we just read, the only people who call Jesus King are those who do it mockingly. The only people who seem to understand what Jesus uh, is actually claiming to be are those who are uh, quite opposed to him. So the soldiers uh, in mocking Jesus and beating Jesus and flogging Jesus are actually in a roundabout way sort of proclaiming who he is. What's interesting is the religious folk in this story actually seem to miss out on the full claims of what Jesus is all about. This is really interesting to me because I find this true in my own life sometimes where those who are most offended by Jesus often have the clearest idea of who he is claiming to be. C.S. Lewis famously said that uh, Jesus does not leave us the option of just thinking he's a good man, a good moral teacher, someone that we should respect and admire. Jesus' claims about himself are so massive. Jesus' claims on our allegiance are so total and complete that Jesus is either an absolute lunatic, a man of immense evil or he is exactly who he claims to be, the son of God and the king of the world. And what's interesting to me is that so often we want to sort of dilute the message of Jesus and say, well, I like this about Jesus, but not that about Jesus. I, I sort of respect Jesus in this way, but I'm not sure I'm ready to go all the way with Jesus. Or, or maybe even as a believer say like, well, I, I, I want to follow Jesus in this way or, or apply this teaching to my life, but I'm not re- really ready to, to submit to him as the absolute king of my life. And what's interesting is that these soldiers realize and Pilate realizes that that's not really an option just to respect this good man, that he's actually claiming to be quite a bit more. He's claiming to be king. He's making a total claim on our allegiance. So when they beat him and when they mock him, they don't mock him for his teachings about love your neighbor. They mock him and they beat him as king as this man who has set himself up as an authority. And I think that that's an interesting place to start because it helps us recognize the absolute scandal of Jesus. See, they they weren't arresting Jesus, they weren't bringing him to Pilate, they weren't ultimately gonna crucify him for being Mr. Rogers. There was some scandalous thing that he was claiming to be true about himself and about us and about the world. And I think it's easy to lose sight of that one of my favorite writers, Dorothy Sayers, says that we have effectively paired the claws of the Lion of Judah and made him a suitable house pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. <laughs> and what she means is so often we have dumbed down or tamed the absolute scandal and wildness of this man, Jesus, who barges into human history and says, I am king, of the Jews, of all the world, of the universe. In fact, I am the son of God, and God has put all authority in heaven and on earth under my feet. That's who he is claiming to be. That's why these soldiers mock him. That's why they put a crown of thorns on his head. That's why they put the robe on his back. They understand the audacious claims of Jesus. And so does Pilate. Pilate calls him king of the Jews as well. Pilate, we'll find out later, actually inscribes the charge, king of the Jews, on the plaque that's going to hang over him on the cross. Pilate sees what he is claiming to be, and yet he is not totally concerned about it. Pilate says, I find no fault with this man. I find no reason to kill this person. And then when they're all shouting, well, he claimed to be the son of God, he actually becomes, it says he becomes afraid. And he comes and he talks to Jesus privately and he's like, come on, can't you help me out? Can't you say something that will help me rescue you from this mob? Will you help me help you? See, Pilate actually seems to be something of a good man. He's, he's, a, good, he's a good dude. He's the example of the, the uh, good person who's not a believer, the one who, who actually has a sense of right and wrong. The one who's trying to do the right thing. The one who's doing the best that they can. The one who when they approach Jesus is not ready to do uh, harm to him or the people that follow him. The one who's trying to keep the peace. See, Pilate wants to do the right thing. But he's kind of between a rock and a hard place. Because while he respects and even fears the authority of God or maybe in his case of the gods while he respects and fears that divine authority he respects and fears the authority of the crowd more he's a man who's kind of caught between doing the right thing and pleasing the people before him He's a man who doesn't want to rock the boat. He wants to keep the peace. He doesn't want revolution. He doesn't want people mad at him. He doesn't want people to act out or act up. And so he's doing the best he can to sort of find that no man's land, that middle ground. I'll make a little compromise here. I'll have Jesus flogged and beat even though he doesn't really deserve it, but I'll not I'll try not to go so far as to hand him over to be killed. I'm gonna do the best I can to do the right thing while pleasing everybody involved. And I, I just gotta tell you, I relate. I relate big time. So often I find that um, the claims that Jesus makes on my life as king The authority he claims to have in my life, look what he says to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus claims to have authority even over Pilate. And so often I find that Jesus' claims of authority over me uh, and Jesus' uh, desires for me in any given moment and Jesus' commands towards me in any given moment uh, actually put me in danger of being misunderstood Disliked, maybe even ostracized by the people around me. And so often, like Pilate, I want to find that middle ground. I want to follow Jesus this far, but not all the way. I want to find a way where I can, like, still sort of do the right thing, but ultimately come out with no blood on my hands, no guilt. No, no feeling that I've let somebody down or upset the wrong person. I, so often I want to make compromises. I want to find my way through in a way where I come out okay. See, Pilate, um, he's concerned about the peace of his uh, area of the Roman Empire. He's concerned about the justice or injustice of how he might treat Jesus. He's concerned about the Jewish people And how they might revolt or how they might uh, handle this situation. But I think ultimately he's concerned about himself. And I, I can relate. He doesn't want to be judged by the divine authority as the one guilty of doing the wrong thing, of carrying out an act of injustice. But he also doesn't want to be judged by the people he's supposed to be ruling. He wants to be a popular leader. And me too. Sometimes I find myself actually having to choose between the popular choice and following Jesus. Between being somebody who is respected, loved, thought well of, and actually honoring the authority of my King. So I relate. The Jewish leaders in this story are also really interesting in how they respond to Jesus or how they approach Jesus. These are religious folks, right? These are people who love, 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 to read the Bible, to do their rituals, to go to church and the temple. They love to always be uh, sort of on top of the moral high ground. They are, they are very concerned about their own personal piety as well as the piety of the people around them in their uh, community and in their inf- area of influence. And so these Jewish leaders bring Jesus in because he's actually um, not helping with that agenda. He's actually calling them out on some stuff He's actually making claims that go against their interpretation of the scriptures. See, I don't want to get too hard on these Jewish leaders. These people are actually doing the best that they know how to do with the version of faith that they were taught. These are people who think they're honoring God. In fact, let me say this about the Jewish leaders. They have biblical reasons for everything they're doing to Jesus, Jesus says early in the book of John in chapter five, he says to these same group of people, he says, you search and search the scriptures because you think in them is found life and yet the scriptures testify to me. Jesus is claiming to have authority and blessing to offer that can't even be found in the scriptures alone. He's saying the scriptures are meant to lead you to me. The scriptures are meant to bring you to the fountain of life. The scriptures are meant to bring you to me in humble submission as I am your king. And yet you search and search in the scriptures because you think in them alone is found life. But they testify to me and here you are trying to kill me. See, the thing is that we can read the Bible every day. We can know it forwards and backwards and we can still use it to preserve our own agenda and our own ends and miss out on Jesus. See, the the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, they're so angry at Jesus. And why? Why are they so mad? Well, Jesus comes in and he is upsetting the whole worldview that they have so meticulously built that keeps them in a position of not only uh, political power, but also a sense of moral superiority. They can feel really justified in their hatred of all the pagans and all the bad practices of the Romans. They can feel really justified in every unholy alliance they make with Rome. Think about this. They say, we have no king but Caesar. They're happy to make alliances with the powers of this world as long as it furthers their agenda which is fueled by their interpretation of scripture which actually has nothing to do with the Jesus right in front of them. And so they they might be the most religious folk in the world, they might be the most politically uh, active people in the world trying to bring about good things here and now, they're trying to live life in a moral and very uh, upright kind of way, and yet they also miss the Jesus who is right in front of them and ultimately fuel this fire that leads to his death. What about the crowd? the people who are standing there and shouting with them, crucify him, crucify him. What about the people who aren't some of the religious elite? They're not the leaders. They're not necessarily the people in charge. They're not the ones that Jesus says, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. It seems pretty clear that's that's about the religious leaders who had arrested Jesus and brought him to Pilate. And yet, there's this whole other group of people, there's, there's probably hundreds of people there watching this happen. And eventually, they all join in and they say, crucify, crucify, crucify. This is a classic example of the mob, right? And so often when I see like in, in movies, like, I don't know, like Beauty and the Beast, you know, when they're like, kill the beast, kill the beast, and there's like a mob. I'm like, oh, those simpletons, they don't, why do they... Why do they just go with whatever the crowd is doing? That's hilarious. I would never do, I would never grab my pitchfork and go witch hunting in the middle of the night. I would never do that. And then I think about um, my life on social media. I'm like, oh, okay, well, huh. And then I think about the commentators and influencers and political folk that I listen to. And I'm like, oh, well actually, huh, I wonder. Am I so different? Eugene Peterson the guy that the guy that wrote the bible no the guy that translated the message version of the bible um, the, guy, uh, the guy that has been, or was before his death, a pastor, uh, he's called America's Pastor, and he, he's been like a pastor of pastors for decades and de- decades and decades. He said that um, classically, classically, there are three ways that human beings try to find transcendence apart from God. One is the use of, su- of substances, drugs and alcohol. One is the use of illicit sex. And the other one is Crowds. And he says, in your churches in America, you will hear a ton about the first two and almost nothing about the last one. And yet he says, in the Bible, it's very clear that one of the great dangers of our souls is the crowd. It's the mob. It's going the way that is most popular. It's being swept along in the current of everyone who sort of is saying the things that, that sort of ring true with your own ideas of how things should be and just getting swept along in the voice of the mob. And I have to say that I, I wanna believe that we're past that. We're past the torches and the pitchforks. We're past shouting crucify him. But I wonder if we really are. I want to I say that we don't really do these things anymore, but except we really do online. And we really do in our prayer meetings sometimes. And we really do uh, sometimes when we're around people who we feel like we can say whatever's on our mind with. And we really kind of can get swept along in in just like this current of thinking because we've let these people kind of speak into our lives and we've sort of doubled down on this way of thinking and on this way of being and on this way of believing and on this. And so we're just going to sort of go with this flow and let it sort of carry us along even if it's carrying us away from Jesus. And I think sometimes we can get so, uh, we can so confuse the voice of God and the voice of the mob. I know I can. I can sympathize with these people in the crowd. It's so easy when somebody's saying, no, it's right that we should do this, to go, no, it is right. Meanwhile, the son of God is about to be killed. No, 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 it's right. It's, he, he claimed to be God. We should kill him. No, maybe you're right. Maybe that is what God wants me to do. I think it's a healthy practice. I think it's a healthy practice um, whenever we recognize that we are thinking in a way or behaving in a way or moving in a direction that the majority of people around us are moving, to just bring that to Jesus and say, is this from you or is this from the mob? Is this from you or is this from everyone I follow on social media? Is this from you or, or is this from that podcast I listen to addictively? Jesus, is, is this from you? Or is this from my favorite news channel? Jesus, is this from you? I don't want to miss you in the frenzy of the mob. I think it's just so easy to do. And, and, and I think in, the humili- in all humility, we have to admit that the soldiers, Pilate the Jewish leaders, the crowd, we can all respond to Jesus this way, these ways at times, can't we? Sometimes I am highly offended by Jesus' claims of authority in my life, and I'd rather mock any idea of surrender, any idea of uh, that kind of dominion in my life. I'd rather rebel. Sometimes I can also try to compromise like Pilate and just do the thing that's gonna make sure I get out of this with no blood on my hands, but also maybe not incur the wrath of God. Sometimes I too can look at Jesus and actually have this weird idea of who I think he might be that, that actually like fits more into my own private worldview that sort of serves me and my ideas instead of letting Jesus be who he is. And sometimes I too can get swept up in the frenzy of the mob. There's another group of people here that um, actually isn't mentioned in the text, but I think is really important. Jesus had 12 disciples. Well, 11. One of them betrayed him. Where are they? Where are they in this moment when Jesus is being beaten, mocked, railed against? People are yelling to crucify him. Where are they? Are any of them there? Are any of them watching? Are any of them maybe outside listening to what's going on inside? Or have they all run away? Jesus says in John 15, A time is coming and indeed has now come when each of you will abandon me, each to his own home. Yet I am not alone, he says, for the Father is with me. The disciples have run away, they've gone. And I don't don't want to give them a hard time for this because I, I can kind of understand where they're coming from. See, for them, this isn't just, oh, our guru is getting in trouble. For them, this is the end of the world. They have based their entire existence on, I'm betting Jesus is for real. I'm betting he really is the son of God. He is the king. He is the Messiah. I'm betting all of my chips that the kingdom of God is really coming on earth. And then they watch the absolute worst, most unfathomable disaster occur, and it is Jesus gets arrested, and he's not breaking out of prison. The angels are not coming to set him loose and to kill all his enemies. Jesus is being beaten, and he's getting closer and closer to being horrifically murdered. It's the end of the world. And for us, we look back and we know where this is going, right? We look back and we know where this is going. We're like, oh, but it's okay, because just hang on for a few days. They didn't know. In that moment, they had no sign that this was ever, they had no understanding that this was ever going to be anything other than a total disaster defeat and the end of the world. And I just want to say... I get it. You know, for all the ways when when life is difficult and painful and it's just coming at us from all directions, for all the times that we want to say, but God is still good, and all the times we want to encourage each other and be like, but it'll turn around. Just have faith, brother. Just have faith, sister. For as much as we want to do that, doesn't it sometimes just feel like, no, this is it. This is the end. I don't see the hope. I'm defeated, I'm discouraged, I think it's over. I don't think everything I just planned on and put my hope in and put all my eggs in that basket, I don't think it's panning out. I think this is all there is. All I see is defeat. It's the end of the world. And like that, like those disciples, I too can find myself not necessarily running away and hiding, but walking away in defeat. Well, I guess it didn't work out. I guess I did mishear God. I guess the kingdom isn't really coming. I guess it is game over. And we can begin to walk away in discouragement. See, I, I love that we're only doing this part of the story, that we're walking through the story so slowly. because I think it's important for us to sit and to name and to say, even as believers sometimes, people who follow Jesus closely year after year, there are times when it just Looks bad. It doesn't, we we people will say, well, it's all for the best, and God has a plan, and it just won't ring true. And it will just feel like a loss. That's true sometimes, even for the follower of Jesus. So we have people who are in all sorts of ways contributing to Jesus' death, his his torture. We have all sorts of people too who are who are just sort of giving up on him, who are just sort of walking away and giving up on him and their lives. And then we have Jesus. Where is Jesus in this story? He's standing at the center as king. Jesus is standing at the center of this scene, and he's in control. He says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus elsewhere says, the son of man, no one takes his life, but he chooses to give it up. Jesus is standing at the center as king. He's crowned. He's robed. He is standing at the center in control. But what a strange looking king. His crown looks a lot like thorns, and it's digging into his flesh and causing blood to run down his face. His robe that they've thrown over his back is thrown over a back that's been scourged and flogged and is just totally in shreds. I'm sure the the blood from the wounds is seeping through this garment that they've put over him. What a strange-looking king. Because, see, when we say Jesus is king, or when, when Pilate says king of the Jews, or when the, when the soldiers say hail the king, they're, they're thinking of a military, political kind of king. And, in fact, when his disciples walk away and they say, we thought you were king, I guess not, they're thinking of a political authority, A king that that rules in the flesh in the same way that all the kings and and emperors and and brutal tyrants around them ruled. When, When the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Jewish leaders brought Jesus before Pilate and said crucify him in the first place, they were offended by his claims on their own worldly authority, Everyone who looks at Jesus, even those who understand his claims of authority, assume he's a king like every other king. So Jesus stands at the center. And so few in this story have eyes to see that he stands at the center as king, but a different kind of king. He's a king on his way to the cross. He's a king on his way to pay the penalty... To offer forgiveness to those who are killing him. On the cross, what what does he pray? Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. He's a king that doesn't just sit on his throne, but he gets down in the dirt with us. He walks with us on our journeys of death and crucifixion. He stands in the place of injustice on our behalf. He's unjustly condemned. He knows what it is to walk through this world and to lose hope, to lose life, to actually be treated so horribly and so unjustly. He knows what this is because he's experiencing it for us right here, right in this moment. And we'll see that Jesus is not just a king who who bleeds for us, who is broken for us, who lays himself down for us, who suffers with us. He's not just that king, he is also the king that busts out of the tomb. He is also the king that comes back to life. He is also the king that blesses us by giving us the Holy Spirit, and he is also the king that ascends to the right hand of God where he is right now interceding on our behalf before the Father. That's the king that is standing in the middle of this story. And, does, and, and, and yes, the people who are, who are doing this to him, they have a burden of guilt to bear. And yes, his disciples who abandon him, they, they have a burden of guilt to bear. But whatever happens, whoever's against him, whoever abandons him, his kingship is not Threatened. Nobody in this story understands who he is. Not one person in this account, in this text, gets it, gets that he is the king and what kind of king he is. Nobody sees where this is going. Not one person in this account. But Jesus is still at the center, in control, as our sacrificial king. Jesus still has his eyes fixed on the cross. Jesus still, as the book of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him is ready to endure the shame of the cross. Jesus has his eyes not only on the cross, but beyond it to the joy of the resurrection, the joy of our redemption, and the joy of the new heavens and the new earth, which will come any day now, any day now. That's the promise of scripture, which is played out in the rest of the book of John and all through the New Testament. But for now, all we see is human beings losing sight of God, losing hope in God, and Jesus still standing at the center as our loving sacrificial king. Can I invite the band to come back up? So um, what does that mean for us? It means wherever your journey is at at the moment, um, perhaps you find yourself a little bit struggling with the claims of Jesus. Like, I, I respect this Jesus guy, but I'm not really ready to give him like, like that ru- rule in my life, that authority as king in my life. That seems a little extreme. I like his teachings, but I don't know that I want to go that far. Okay. That, that's where you're at. Maybe, maybe more like Pilate. You're like, well, I do like this Jesus thing, but it's really important to me to stay popular with the people that I'm around. So I really don't want to go too extreme. I don't want to become like one of those like Jesus freak weirdos. But I kind of am into it. I don't. I kind of want to make some compromises. See what I can, you know, pick and choose what I want from Jesus. Um, okay, that's where you're at. Maybe you're uh, more along the lines of um, the the Jewish leaders, and there's there's this part of you that. That really wants to um, sort of get things dialed in theologically and doctrinally and find your support texts in the scriptures and then just kind of lock it in and not change it and just like really, really base your faith on doctrine instead of Jesus. Um, Maybe that's your thing or maybe it's like your political beliefs you're going to get it all in line or you're going to lobby for this thing or that thing but you know it's that I'm going to lock this in and then I don't really have to have the messiness of this whole Jesus thing. Okay, that's where you're at. Maybe you're feeling a bit like the crowd and you're just kind of swept along. And when I'm at church, I feel swept along in the Jesus thing. When I'm elsewhere, I get swept along in something else. Okay, that's where you're at. Maybe you're like the disciples and it just feels like the end of the world. Maybe the wind has gone out of your sails and the things that you put, put all your hope in and or you put all your eggs in that basket, they just didn't pan out. Okay. Can I suggest Wherever you're at, in any of these different places, maybe something we, you know that's not even represented in this story, um, wherever you're at, can I suggest that for a few moments, you lift your eyes and you do what Pilate says, behold your king. For, for a few minutes, can we just like look up from whatever we're, we're just like working on and churning through and whatever discouragement just we're obsessed about or whatever whatever's going on right now that has captured our attention can we look up for a few minutes and see there our king who is crowned with thorns for us our king who is robed in purple over a back that has been absolutely scourged for us Can we look up for a moment and behold our King standing in control at the center and willing to lay himself down to suffer with us and for us? Can we behold our King this morning? In a moment, we're gonna take communion. This is is us uh, completing the story. so so we see this place where Jesus is about to be led off to be crucified. Now we get to complete the story. We get to say, yeah, like Jesus taught his disciples to, yes, this is his body which is broken for me. My king is in control. Whatever else is going on, and my king has broken his body for me. We get to take the cup and we get, to, we get to dip it in the juice and we get to go, yes, his blood, that blood that was running down his face from his crown, that blood that was seeping through the purple robe, that blood was shed for me because whatever else I'm looking at, I can look at my king who has shed his blood for me. And we get to complete the story this morning and know that wherever we're at, however we might be fighting Jesus, however we might be discouraged and giving up on Jesus, however life might just be getting the best of us, we can look up and we can see our King who's broken his body for us, shed his blood for us, and know that he is in control. And because he has all authority and has immense love for us, we might just get through this crucifixion. We might just get through to the other side. If you're not a believer this morning and you're not really sure where you stand on this Jesus thing, don't feel weird about sitting in your seat and not coming to take communion. But for those of us who are um, into that, uh, I'll pray and then the the tables will be open. If you need gluten-free, that'll be on this side. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you um, Thank you that whatever I do or don't see, whatever makes sense or doesn't make sense, whatever discouragements or frustrations I'm feeling, whatever ways I'm wrestling with you, that you're still my king. You're still in charge. You still break your body and pour out your blood for me to bring me home, to bring me back into a right relationship with you. Jesus, I lift my eyes right now from whatever whatever craziness is happening in the world or in my life. I lift my eyes from my own little agendas. I lift my eyes from my personal ideas and philosophies. I lift my eyes even from the discouragement that just kind of knocked the breath out of me. And I look to you. Thank you, Jesus, for being not only our king, but our King who gives yourself to save us. We love you.